Okay, so I want to talk cookware for a second because I haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pinks, greens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like, I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them the Fry family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic non-stick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, Once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode, Angel. Hi, Anne. Okay, you guys, let me just start out by saying this is a relatively uneventful Monday. I feel like the last few weeks we've had so much going on news-wise and it's just a little quieter today, which is fine, but I just want to set those expectations immediately. Nothing makes me laugh harder than starting a podcast with, hi, welcome to this episode. There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> It's not that there's nothing. I think we just got really spoiled the last few weeks. Yeah, that's what happened. Although I will say that this gives us a really good opportunity to get into a little euphoria discussion, which I've been dying to do for the past couple of weeks. Yes, and we've been wanting to, but we've kind of held off on doing so since there was so much actual news to talk about. So this feels like the perfect opportunity. And what's fun about euphoria and discussing this is that there is a little bit of actual news to it as well. Yes. Okay. If you haven't watched last night's episode yet, don't fast forward immediately. I'll give you a spoiler alert in like a minute. But I want to talk about that because Hunter Schaefer and Dominic Fike, who obviously played Jules and Elliot, there's dating rumors now between the two of them because they were spotted on Sunday night holding hands while leaving the nice guy in West Hollywood. And according to Dumois, which again, take everything with a grain of salt, they were kissing and dancing inside. They were also there with Jacob Elordi and Alexa Demi. So I don't know. I mean, those pictures definitely looked like more than friends. I think so too. I can't further discuss my thoughts on this without talking about the episode. So I think we have to cut ahead to the spoiler alert here. Okay. Official spoiler alert. If you have not yet watched season two, episode three of Euphoria, take this moment to fast forward and I'm going to put an ad break after that discussion is over. Okay. Now that they're gone, let's get into it. Now that they're gone, I just have to say... Obviously, when we saw the pictures of them leaving the nice guy, we're like, oh, wow, this could really be something. But after the episode, when you get to the end and they're having that discussion where they're like laying in bed together and it's just the two of them, I was like, oh, shit, the chemistry is there. Well, it's so funny how in retrospect, I can't believe how excited I was seeing those photos the first time when I hadn't even watched this episode, because you're right. The first thing I did when this episode was over was go back and relook at those photos. And I was like, oh, shit, now I really want this to be happening. Co-stars dating is a drug for me. Honestly, though, this particular scenario feels even more exciting. Just hear me out for a second than Zendaya and Jacob Elordi. I understand the level of fame is incomparable, but when you just compare it solely to their characters, like 
Rue and Nate have nothing to do with one another sexually, whereas there is so much tension here. Right. And when you can see that tension both on and off screen, that's the best. See, Jacob Elordi and Zendaya did something for me, but only aesthetically. I never like saw them as a pair. And I always was like, I think we were always a little unsure whether this was actually a relationship or if it was just kind of PR for the show. But something about this relationship in terms of them being kind of side characters, not really the main, main focus of the show, but also having this kind of blossoming relationship on the show makes me far more interested in like the believability of the relationship. Yes, that's kind of my stance on it as well. And I would like to move into a more general discussion on the episode because you and I have not discussed it at all yet. Like I literally watched it this morning specifically so that we would not be tempted to. But I want to discuss the tweet you sent me this morning from at Blair's Manny that said, why does a scene with Rue and Cassie and Maddie talking together feel like a crossover? That hits. That hits because during that scene, I was like, why does this feel so weird? Like, how do they all know each other? Yes. Like, wait, you guys go to school together? I can't tell if the reason that I thought it was such a, not weird scene, but like unnatural maybe in like the best way possible. I can't tell if it's because I literally forget almost every single thing that happened in season one. So I can't in my mind remember whether or not there were full scenes of them hanging out and being friends. Or if it's because their plots are always so separate in general that it feels like they're on two different shows. Well, to your first point, I'm in the same boat. And by the way, we really do need to rewatch season one just so that we can, I feel like even enjoy season two more. But I honestly think a lot of it has to do with the latter as well, which is like, there's so much going on individually that it's very easy to watch the show almost forgetting that everybody is interconnected in some way. The best thing about Euphoria, well, actually, first of all, I have to start by saying the show itself is fucking incredible. It is maybe one of the best shows I've ever watched. And I'm not kidding. But for me, the thing that elevates it more than anything else is that internet camaraderie that we always talk about. And there have been a lot of shows that we've spoken about where that camaraderie on the internet exists. I don't think any of them come even close to what Euphoria has. You go on Twitter three minutes after that episode ends, and you've already seen about 100 viral tweets that are more creative than anything you could have come up with while watching that show in the two minutes after it ends. Yes. You know how we always talk about how one of the reasons that I don't watch shows as much as I probably should is because I genuinely do not experience FOMO in any area of my life. So like if I did, I'd probably be more inclined to watch the shows that everyone's talking about. Yeah. I think that Euphoria is the one show that if I didn't already watch, I would be experiencing FOMO from the Twitter presence because it's that strong. If you didn't already watch, I would be insufferable to be around, not because I wouldn't shut up about it, but because I wouldn't shut up about how much you specifically would love it. So I thank you so much for saving me that time and energy. It's such a good show. It has every single element. And you know, you were just saying that the second it's over, you can go on Twitter and everybody has either really good takes or just funny takes or just like wanting to talk about it. The way that I envision it is like everybody's sitting in a room and they're passing around a bong and everybody just gets so fucking stoned. And then you're looking at each other and you're like, whoa, that's what I feel like it's like going on Twitter after watching an episode of Euphoria. I feel like we all just took a collective bong rip and we're like, whoa. It is the most amount of fun I could ever have watching a show. And it's funny that you say that thing about how you don't experience FOMO specifically with internet FOMO. I don't experience FOMO in real life. With internet FOMO, that's when it gets me. Like I cannot stand not being a part of something. And I cannot stand if I'm seeing all of these jokes on the internet and I don't know what it's about, which rarely happens, but every so often it does. And it drives me absolutely insane. This is one of those things where 
forget about Twitter because that's where it specifically happens for me. Euphoria takes over every single corner of the internet. So I cannot imagine what it must be like as somebody who doesn't watch. And I've yet to come across somebody in my own life that doesn't watch. And that's what's so interesting to me. Right before we started recording, you and I were both saying that this was our favorite episode of the season. And then we stopped the conversation because we wanted to save it all for this. But when I was looking on TikTok briefly this morning, that was not the vibe that I saw, which I don't know how you guys feel about that in terms of the episode so far. But a lot of people on TikTok felt like this was kind of uneventful, didn't really move the plot along. They weren't a huge fan of the Cal flashback. Whereas I loved that because I think it provided important context. That's so interesting because I actually haven't seen that at all. Everything that I've seen has been people loving this episode and also agreeing with us. I would say that it really depends on how you watch the show where I would say there's like three different types of viewers, which like the first is you watch the show just because it's so unbelievably enjoyable and you love the characters. The second type of viewer is like you watch the show for the intensity of it. And the third is you like both of those parts equally. And last night's episode was definitely an episode where it was a more fun, enjoyable, lighthearted watch than some of the more intense, intense episodes. So I think if you're somebody who you come on for that extreme anxiety intensity of watching a show and deriving that, maybe last night wasn't your favorite. But I had fun from beginning to end, which doesn't always happen in a Euphoria episode. And for me, it just made it so enjoyable. Also, I thought last night's episode was smart. The way they did Lexi's movie sequence, the way they did the beginning three minutes, which by the way, Call Me By Your Name is literally shaking. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. The scene with Cal and Fez, perfection. I just thought it was not even just the best episode of this season. I thought it was the best episode. I felt the same way, Julie. And I think that when you lay out the three types of viewers, clearly knowing me, I am so much more the one that's there for the entertainment value, not for the intensity. Like I will watch the intensity because I love the show so much that I can stomach it, but I don't enjoy it. Remember last week we were watching it together and I was turned around. You were like, get your shit together. And I couldn't take my head out of the couch because I don't love that overwhelming intensity. Whereas this one, I was like, yes, I was loving the music. I was just having fun. Exactly. I was having fun. And how amazing is it to watch a show where you're having fun for a full hour? I mean, incomparable amounts of fun. I agree. I mean, listen, it's, it depends what you want. I wouldn't want every single episode to just be fun because I think that level of anxiety and that type of show really makes it what it is. But for a one-off episode to have that was just incredibly enjoyable. I also think one of the reasons that the show is as successful and good as it is, is because even though so much of it is just extreme, extreme exaggerations and so unrelatable. Every aspect of it is so extremely relatable within those exaggerations. Like that scene of Cassie getting ready and spending three hours in the morning for Nate to not even look at her was just like, I can't even tell you how many girls were probably watching that being like, holy fuck. Or like the Lexi movie sequence in her head where that is her form of escapism is to create like a full documentary. Everyone was like, yeah, I don't have the HBO production to actually put on a <laughs> a whole production in my head, but that's what it would look like if you looked inside of it. Oh, completely. I thought that the Cassie part, you're right, was the most relatable. And also, I knew while it was happening clearly that when she freaked out in the bathroom, that that was fantasy. But God, how badly did I wish it wasn't. For one second, my jaw dropped. I was... <laughs> I really lost it for a second there of like, just, just imagining what would have transpired after that. 
You know what we were saying with the relatability, and you specifically said it when we were watching it together, was the scene last week with Kat, with all of like the influencers being like, love yourself, love yourself. That's when you were like, holy fuck, that was so well done. And I saw so much of that online too, like that specific scene. Oh my God, completely. Because it's it's become it's almost sabotaged itself in a way, some aspects of that movement, you know, where all of a sudden you actually start to feel self-doubt or you start to feel self-critical for not embracing the message in the way that people are telling you to. And like, there needs to be some acknowledgement that that quote self-love looks different for everyone. And I think that when it loses its nuances, when it can actually become kind of toxic. And I felt like she was touching on that in a very real way, at least for me. Yeah, totally. What, you know, that's really what it is. Like the overarching thing of the show is that they hit on the culture and the time so well. And not every show is able to do that. You and I were saying that's also about sex lives of college girls. We were like, it's unbelievable for a writing team to get it so right. Not just in terms of content, not just in terms of relationships and different dynamics, but just in terms of the way that we speak to each other and the things that are going on in the real world. And HBO in general nails that, but specifically Euphoria and Sex Lives of College Girls really, really hit on something that I haven't seen shows hit on in a while. Yes. And within a show that is kind of very fantasy-based in a lot of ways, or at least compared to 99.9% of our high school experiences, it's not relatable to recognize just the general way that people our age interact. It feels really good. It's funny, like my younger cousin is in high school now and she's watching it. And I had this moment because there's such an age gap between us where I was like, you're allowed to watch that. And then I realized that it was literally based in high school and she's in high school now, which was such a strange moment for me. But I was talking to her about it and about like the comparison of watching it while actually being in high school, which is something that you and I will never be able to experience. And it was so interesting hearing her perspective of like, yeah, of course it's an exaggeration, but the way in which they interact with each other is so, so specific to the times. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen with Cassie and Maddie? I, I don't think it's going to end well. I That's the part of this that I wanted to move on to is a little bit of a Q&A between the two of us about actual plot points. Oh. So I'm happy you asked that. <laughs> I love that. Would you like to begin? Yeah. Do you think Elliot's going to die? Well, obviously we saw in the preview that there is a funeral scene and I think there's a very good chance that it's Elliot, especially because if you see in that preview at the end, he's the one that's standing in the aisle yeah. and it just felt like, yes. And also because obviously as we've speculated thus far, that would seem to be potentially the thing that could really, you know, shift Rue's perspective. And obviously optimistically it would be in a positive way, but more likely in, in a negative way. Right. I'm, I think that that could happen. I really do. I mean, Although they could throw a real plot twist at us because we expected that the Rue, Jules, and Elliot love triangle was going to be between Rue and Elliot. And now it's looking a little bit more like it's shifting to the Elliot and Jules plot, which is a huge throw off for us. So I could see them throwing a real wrench in terms of us thinking Elliot's going to die as well. I really want to go back to the scene of Jules and Elliot on the bed together because when Elliot was talking to Jules about his perception kind of on Rue's sex drive, I realized as he was talking that that was my exact thought process this entire time. Kind of the fact that I felt like 
Rue's sexuality or just her desire for sex was slightly more muted. And I thought in my head, I guess, is that something that would cause any sort of a riff in their relationship in the sense of Jules not feeling as desired or as valued? And I guess I just accepted it as not because clearly their relationship was going on. And then when he was talking, I was like, wait a second, I have had this thought and I guess I just pushed it to the back of my mind because it hadn't appeared to prove an issue between them. Did you feel a sense of clarity at all when he was mentioning that or no? Um, I wouldn't say I specifically had a moment of clarity when that scene happened because I don't know if it was something that I was consciously thinking about before. I just, I guess anytime that I had thought about Rue and her sexuality or her sex drive or whatever it may be, it just wasn't the focus of her character rather than something that was consciously lacking or specifically left out. Like drugs were the focus of her character. And so when this scene happened, for me, it wasn't even necessarily like the clarity of something that I was wondering about, but it felt more like a commentary on Rue's mental health in general in terms of you don't know what her sex drive would be like if she wasn't taking specific medication for her depression and bipolar disorder. So I think that's where that's going to go. And I thought it was less of a commentary on Rue as a person and more of a commentary on Rue and her mental health. Right, completely. But also I thought that my perception of it was that it was almost kind of cathartic for Jules or she had been thinking it, but didn't necessarily want to say it or wanted to say it out loud because then it becomes real. And so when Elliot was saying it, I felt like this is something she has acknowledged mentally, but she never was going to be the one to bring it up. And I feel like for her, it almost felt good that somebody else was mentioning it. Totally. In that scene, a hundred percent, that's what I, I took away. Like for Jules, it was a moment of clarity for me. It wasn't something that I was consciously thinking about. Um, But yeah, and I think it's also that discussion of like, if you love someone so much as Jules and Rue clearly do, then what do you do when that one element is missing or not as much as the other person would want? Right. I don't know. I mean, obviously we're going to watch that play out now that it's been acknowledged. Oh, also one other thing that's not plot related, but more so show related was the stuff about Barbie Ferreira, Kat's character. This was directly from Radar Online. We haven't discussed this yet. Quote, things reportedly got so heated between Barbie Ferreira, known for playing Kat Hernandez, and director Sam Levinson, that the 25-year-old actress walked off set, causing the director to allegedly erase some of her lines in the episodes that followed. The feud between the two is reportedly one of the reasons Barbie was a no-show at Euphoria's season two premiere earlier this month. Their reported clash is due to Barbie allegedly not agreeing with Levinson's vision for her body-conscious teen character. Barbie shocked everyone when she failed to show up alongside the cast for the red carpet on January 5th. While her female co-stars Zendaya, Sydney Sweeney, Alexa Demi, Maude Apatow, and Hunter Schaefer were all smiles in their gowns for the premiere, Barbie and Storm Reid were noticeably absent. At the time, many outlets reported that Barbie and Storm opted not to attend the event due to COVID concerns, but that seems not the case, at least for Ferreira. And then also, an insider told Dumois, quote, new season of Euphoria is going to be real dark, so much so that some actors, especially Barbie, were not vibing with the director's vision. Barbie got into it with him on set and left one day. He then cut a lot of her lines. What do you think about that? I won't be surprised if this is true. It'll be interesting to see, though. It's hard to tell with somebody who isn't a main character whether or not it feels like their scenes have been cut because you can't really tell what they were supposed to be in versus what they aren't in. I know. I mean, it will be interesting if either of them actually speaks out about it. Although, of course, if there is going to be a season three, which I think we all collectively hope so and believe there will be, that it is unfortunate, but it could impact how comfortable she feels saying something. Or her presence going forward into the third season. Completely, completely. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. 
And one of the most fun parts about the seasons changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quinn's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra announced on Friday that they have welcomed a child via surrogate. They have not said any additional details, but according to page six, it's a girl. And I have to tell you, I was really, really surprised by this. Like, I'm obviously so happy for them. I just don't think I expected it happening. I definitely didn't expect it happening as a surprise. I think that in terms of them having a baby together, it was something that we've all been waiting for for a little while, just because they've been so open about it. I know Priyanka's given multiple interviews where she said that having a family is such an important part of her future and what she really sees for herself and Nick. So I think everybody who was following this relationship, or even if they weren't following it closely, kind of expected that to be happening in the next couple of years or so. A surprise was not on my bingo card, though. Right. That's what I meant. A total surprise like this. But it it does kind of make sense, actually. They are relatively private, even though at times we feel some of the stuff is performative. Yeah, uh, it is an interesting relationship in that way, just from a public perspective. It's interesting because they're definitely a couple where their social media presence at times can feel kind of contrived because, you know, they do things a lot at the same time, which isn't a tactic that other couples don't utilize, but it just sometimes can feel slightly overly curated. And I always remind myself that the way that they met, according to them, was in 2016 when he slid into her DMs on Twitter and she was like, my team can read this, like just text me. And I love that anecdote because it makes them feel 
I don't want to say so much more normal, but it just makes it feel so much more natural. Yeah, that did feel more natural. I always think about when they walk the red carpet together for the Met Gala when they weren't officially dating and Nick went on Jimmy Kimmel like a couple of days after to talk about it and was like, no, we're not dating. We just like both were at the Ralph Lauren table. So we decided to go together and everyone was like, oh, please. No one just goes to the Met Gala together because they're friends. So I always think about the start of their relationship as well and how, you know, for us, it does seem a little bit contrived from the start of our view of when they started dating versus when they actually got married. But there was a whole year and a half, two year period prior to that, that we weren't privy to. It wasn't until May of the next year in 2018 when they were confirmed officially dating. So yeah, there was a lot of speculation for a full year after that red carpet appearance, which to me feels a little bit longer than what you would probably expect. Right. Something funny also is everyone keeps pulling up the clip from when Priyanka was on the Jonas Brothers roast and joked about having a kid and Nick's face like kind of bugged out for a second. And in retrospect, the surrogate was probably pregnant at the time. And that's probably why Nick made a whole face because they probably had agreed to keep it a secret until the baby was born. Yeah, no, I love that. The one funny thing that I have seen is that tweet that I sent you the other day that was like, why are Nick and Priyanka asking for privacy? We didn't know anything until you guys told us. Right, we had no idea. (laughs) We were giving you all the privacy you wanted. You were the one that brought us into it. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.
This was really intense. I'm sure you have all seen the video by now, but on Thursday, Adele released this really tearful video telling her fans that her Las Vegas residency needed to be postponed. And keep in mind, she releases this video on Thursday and the first show was set to be on Friday. So it was less than 24 hours before. And it was going to be at Caesars Palace, basically two shows a week through April 16th. And they have all been postponed. There's no real insight yet about the dates, but I mean... This was a lot. Obviously, people had already flown into this show for it to happen. Like I said, it was less than 24 hours. There's so much happening there. But according to page six, a lot of this had to do with disagreements she was having with the set designer, Esmeralda Devlin. And in Adele's video, she said that, you know, half my crew is down because of COVID and we're just not going to be able to put it on for you guys. I want to read a direct quote from an insider from page six that said, Quote, there was no real clarity around what Adele wanted for the show because of the endless changes being made to the production. It seemed that while she has always preferred a stripped back performance, she was under some pressure to come up with a huge extravaganza. So there was a constant ricochet between those two versions of what the show should be, and it did cause some quite explosive arguments. It's well known that Adele suffers badly with anxiety when it comes to performing live, so it's hard to imagine her going ahead if she wasn't happy. I mean, I don't know. This was not good news. No, not good news. My guess of what happened is a combination of both things. I think the team was definitely plagued by COVID, 100%. I think that that in combination with some of the perfection and the desire for the show to be exactly what she wanted and maybe her not being 100% sure what she wanted throughout the process and changing things made that extremely difficult with the members of the team being down because of COVID. So the combination of the two things just created a disaster. Yeah. I mean, I obviously have no insight or experience in how to put on one of these shows. I can only imagine what goes into it. But my stance is very similar to what you were saying when we found this out when we were walking last week, which was people come to an Adele show for her voice. And so it does feel like something could have been done to just try to salvage any of it, knowing that people had already flown in, even if some of the later dates were postponed. I don't know. It just feels like When you go to an Adele show, you're not necessarily going for the theatrics, you're going for her voice. So to me, it feels like something could have been done at the same time, though. Who am I to say? I I have no idea the amount of work that must go into that behind the scenes. Yeah, right. Like, that's just our view as an outsider. I mean, that was my initial thought 100%. And as I have looked into things and read things and seen people's account of what happened and their view from having already been in Vegas, my stance on that stays the same. But I know that so much of that has to do with just feeling heartbroken for the fans that flew in there. I mean, again, this isn't a situation where somebody's just in town for a concert and you're going to them. People flew in from all over the world into Vegas for this residency, especially the opening night of it, and spent tons and tons of money on it. So for that to have been the case and then less than 24 hours notice with them already being there, have it be canceled, my heart just breaks for everybody involved. And I know that Adele is going to do everything she can to help reschedule those people who flew in and hopefully take care of whatever costs were associated with that. But at the same time, like that is as shitty of a situation as it gets and as short of notice as it gets. So I can't help but feel like something at the very least could have been done. I know that there were some FaceTimes and a pop-up shop experience and some last minute salvageable things to try and make fans feel like at least they were being heard and understood and felt for. So I appreciate that aspect of it. It just, it's a shitty situation. Oh, it's a shitty situation all around. And she felt terrible. You can tell in her video that that wasn't a 
performative act of sadness. I think she was genuinely distraught. And I do think she's a perfectionist and probably wanted everything exactly how she wanted it. And while it's easy to judge that, I also think that that's probably why she's come this far in her career because of, you know, her perfectionist tendencies. So I get it. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys saw the TikTok of that one woman, Eleni Sabraco. She basically went viral after posting a video saying that every Adele concert she's ever tried to go to has been canceled. And Adele personally got in contact with her on FaceTime, said she's going to cover all of her costs, fly her in again, meet her personally, which I'm sure for her was the best thing ever. Like that was almost even better than probably just being able to go to the concert. But unfortunately not every single person can have that experience and it just sucks. I mean, if you're one of those people, I can imagine how that must have felt for you. Right. It, it really, it sucks. But I do believe Adele in terms of the relationship she has with her fans. And I can see, you know, anybody who saw that video can see how heartbroken she was about that. And I think it really is tearing her up. I don't believe that was performative at all. And I do believe that she's going to do everything within her power to try and make it up. It's just you can't make it up to everybody. And that's what the unfortunate reality of the situation is. Yeah. I mean, I do wonder in general, Adele's not the best example of this. Cause like I said, you don't go to her show for the theatrics of it, but I do wonder if you are a musician, someone like a JLo or like a Beyonce that's touring now, like, do you naturally have your set design be a little bit more scaled back to brace yourself for potential COVID complications and wanting it to still be feasible if that were to happen? Or do you just wait to perform in general because you'd rather not have a show than have one that's scaled back from your normal? I don't really know. I'm, I'm not intimately involved enough, but it's just, you know, I think that there's a very different type of performance when you're somebody who relies on the theatrics versus something more scaled back in the age of COVID, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's a good question. Okay, let's move on to Kanye. Let's talk about something near and dear to our hearts, our furry companions. Life is full of unexpected twists, just like the ones we love to uncover about our favorite celebs. But sometimes those twists involve our four-legged friends. Imagine navigating the unpredictable world of pet parenthood, where every day is a new adventure. Our partner, Spot Pet Insurance, wants to share a message to help make sure you're prepared for any unexpected curveballs, whether it's a sudden illness or an unplanned trip to the vet. Spot Pet Insurance can be your secret weapon against the unexpected. With Spot, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills, helping you with those surprising expenses that seem to pop up when you least expect them. But wait, there's more. Spot Pet Insurance plans go beyond just offering coverage for accidents and illnesses. You can enhance your plan with their preventive care benefit, ensuring that routine wellness, vaccines, and more can be covered too. Head over to spotpet.com today to get a quote instantly. Trust us, it's the easiest thing you'll do to help secure the well-being of your dog or cat. Visit www.spotpet.com today. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductible, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample hyphen policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. (music) 
So Connie and Julia Fox were continuing with the public outings this week. I'm sure you guys saw the photos of them in the matching black looks in the Miami airport. And then again in Paris for Men's Fashion Week in those coordinating denim ensembles. And I don't know. I mean, listen, like I said last week, and I really do believe this, if this is her goal to kind of become this household name seemingly overnight and to amass a significant following, she went from a couple hundred thousand to a million in a few days, good for her, like genuinely good for her. I can't relate. That's my worst nightmare. But if that's what you want, you're making it happen. I just can't help but feel like even though she's getting that benefit, it almost feels like the shit end of the stick because everybody who's watching this is calling it kind of the Kim treatment because the way that he's going about this is so similar to the way that he did it with Kim that it just feels unoriginal, you know? And that that's no shame on her, really. I, I just can't imagine voluntarily wanting to be the girlfriend of Kanye West at this point. This shit gives me the ick so badly, I can't even explain it to you. And the thing with the Kim aspect of it is it's not even that you're getting the Kim treatment. It's that you're being treated as a Kim stand-in. And it would almost be better if you were getting that same level of treatment rather than making a part two or making a 2.0 of Kim, which is so clearly what's happening here. And there's a part of me where like in the beginning, I was like, you know what? Good for her. It's kind of an unfortunate circumstance to be in where you are with a guy and you're really caught up in this lifestyle and you know, he's treating you like you're the center of his world. And I could see how so easily caught up in that you could be totally. But then she's on her podcast giving these quotes like, you know, I've dated billionaires my whole adult life. This is nothing new for me. I don't care about the fame where it's like, listen, if you want to think that this is such a cool life and you want to go to Paris Men's Fashion Week, that I respect. When you're on a podcast being like, this is nothing. I date billionaires all the time. Like you lose me. I'm no longer interested in like seeing your rise of fame. Well, the exact quote was, people are like, oh, you're only in it for the fame. You're in it for the clout. You're in it for the money. Honey, I've dated billionaires my entire adult life. Let's keep it real. Which the thing is, even if that is true, it's like dating Kanye is not the same as dating a billionaire because dating Kanye comes with it a serious show. You have to be down to put on this show and to do all of these things that would be considered relatively clout heavy because that's what he wants. He wants to make a spectacle of his life. He gets off on that. And so you being a willing participant means that you're also down to make your life a spectacle, which is fine, but like play into it. Continue to do the interview mag stuff. Continue to really play into it. When you act above it, I think that's when you kind of lose the public because I think people would appreciate a little bit more shamelessness in all of it because that's when people can get on board, you know? Right. Tell me you're in it for the money. Tell me you're in it for the fame. Tell me you're in it for the experience. When you're telling me you're not in it for any of those things, then it's like, what the fuck are you possibly in it for then? Yeah. I mean, you're just not going to be able to convince me that this is true love right away. It's funny because I know that if you are somebody who's a fan of Kim, maybe you could assume that well, it doesn't matter who Kanye dates. No, you know, nobody's going to like the person Kanye dates because they're going to wish it was Kim. To me, it's actually the opposite. Like being such a fan of Kim, I actually think her not being with Kanye is so the best thing that I celebrate him being in another relationship. There's no hatred or there's no automatic hatred to that woman just because she's in the place that you wish Kim was in. Like, no, 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 not at all. It's actually completely the reverse of that. I think there's nothing better than them both moving on individually. There's just something about the way that this is being done. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that, as you know, I just find Kanye to be so grossly arrogant that when someone he's with almost feeds into it, I question their characters. Well, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just being honest in my read of it. 
Something just feels off to me. I, I mean, I would say I can't put my finger on it, but I mean, it's the whole thing. So it's like, I can put my finger on it, just my fingers on the relationship rather than specific aspects of it. It's like literally your palm. It's like not a finger. I, I mean, my entire body is on it. Like right. I, I, I can put everything on it. I just like still don't get it and I never will get it. But it to me, it's not a relationship, it's performance art. And exactly what you were saying about when you are a fan of Kim, you actually wish that you were liking the person that Kanye was dating because one, you don't really want them together in the first place. But also it's kind of similar to how we felt about Scott and Sophia, I think in the beginning where we were saying like, it's so nice that even if we don't want Courtney and Scott together, Scott's with somebody that's seemingly helping him stay on the straight and narrow. That seems like she's a good influence for him. Obviously they ended up breaking up, so it wasn't a permanent, but I think at the time it really did feel like that. And I think that as fans of Kim, we kind of wish that we were seeing Kanye with somebody who we felt like was helping him out in that way, or at least putting him on a path that was beneficial to Kim. Not that we should be deciding what path Kanye is on. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. But obviously everything he does is going to affect Kim and is going to affect their children and is going to affect the family. So as a fan, you at least want to feel confident about that fact. Yes. Yeah. It, it's just, it's interesting to watch. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's just like, there's a lot of aspects of fame that feel undesirable, but then there's also some people where you're like, you know what, that feels worth it. That feels like a lot of fun. And I could be down to do that ride. And Kanye is just simply the opposite of that. To me, you become a pawn in his game. And I just don't know why, especially, you know, a woman who I think does have a lot of self-respect and has been making a name for herself before this would want to be this like pawn in his game. I don't know. It it really, I, I will not remove the potential reality, which is that my lens is always going to be a little bit tarnished because I don't have a kind view of Kanye and I get that. So maybe that's just like meet my own perspective of it, but it just feels like this is so for his benefit. And that's where I can't get on board with it. See, I don't know if I necessarily entirely feel that way where she's just a pawn in his game because I think that it's a game for her too. And my thought on it is like, how are the both of you not embarrassed by the spectacle that's going on? Like, I almost feel like she's more aware of the game than he is. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where I've, they're, they're both. Yes. That's what it is though. Okay. No, as I'm thinking of it. Yes. They are both in it for the game, I think. And they are both very aware of it being performance art. And when I look at it from that aspect, like if I actually consider the fact that they are both doing this fully as a game and fully as like a strategic plan, I can almost respect it more. I just relate to it less. Does that make sense? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Like I don't, I don't feel like I'm watching a situation where I'm looking at this woman and being like, oh my God, somebody please just snap her back to reality. Like somebody just grab her and pull her out of there before it's too late. Like, by the way, that may be the case. It's just not my view of it as of now. My view of it as of now is like, she is a willing participant in this spectacle, in this performance art, and she's getting just as much out of it, if not more. She may be getting far more out of it than he is. So there's no part of me that is viewing this as sad. Like I'm, I'm not viewing this as a situation I'm worried about per se. I'm viewing this as like, 
God, what are both of you doing? Like, do you think this is both your own little world that you can exist in? Like, the main character syndrome that both of them are radiating is too much for me to handle because that is an aspect of a personality that no part of me relates to. And main character syndrome is something that you can have whether you're a celebrity or not. Like anybody can have main character syndrome. It's just something that I personally don't relate to on any level. And so that energy that's radiating from both of them gives me such embarrassment. Yeah, right. But I think that it's like they both would say that it is one of their proudest qualities, like the part about themselves that they are the most excited and in celebration of, which I don't know. I just don't know what to say. I've never really experienced anything like this in, in the realm of pop culture. And I think it all, like the general umbrella it all falls under is like, I know, wow, my my Jersey accent just came out when I said fall. Did you hear that? It like never does. And I just heard I actually it. didn't. Your Jersey accent doesn't really ever pop out at me. That's what I'm saying. It never does. And I just heard myself say it. I'm going to keep it in so that I can see if I hear it when I listen back. Um, Are you actively every day suppressing a Jersey accent that I don't know about? No, I don't even think I have one. But I just, as I just said that, I was thinking in my head, Bridget would say that that was a Jersey accent, right? It's going, kid. <laughs> Sorry. All of this to me can be viewed under the umbrella of like Kanye thinks every single thing he does and says and touches is the greatest thing to ever exist in the entire world. And so I guess I'm watching it and thinking, I can't believe you think this is so cool. It's so not. But like, it's all subjective. Every fucking thing in the world is subjective. So maybe some people think it's cool. I'm just personally not on board and I watch, but I watch with one eye closed because it's a little bit cringy for me. That's my final stance. I think they both think they elevate each other and they're both actively doing the opposite. In our opinion though, I'm telling you, there are some people that are watching this and actually think that what's going on is like some real, you know, high fashion complex thing that maybe we aren't elevated enough to understand. I know that that's not where we stand, but some people probably view it and think that. I just don't get it. Some people do. It's certainly not the overwhelming opinion though. No, no, I know. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? No, I think that's it. I mean, listen, I, I know we've said a lot of negative things about both of them and I stand by everything we've said. Again, it's not really about both of them. It's just more about our view of them and not really getting it. At the same time, I just also feel like when I see them together, it makes sense to me for what I view myself of wanting. But when I see them together and what they're doing for each other, they're clearly making sense in some way, shape or form. They're clearly both in it together. They both clearly appreciate the same performance and the same art and the same spectacle. So as a relationship, yeah, that makes sense to me. But from a view of the world, how I see it, I couldn't be more confused, but that's about me. It's not really about them. Right, exactly. And you know what? Knowing Kanye, he'd probably celebrate confusion. The thing that I actually wonder truly deep down is I'm so curious if Kanye views this as a project where he's like, I did this once with Kim. I wonder if I could replicate the exact same thing and do it again and make her the biggest star in the world. Not that Kanye made Kim the biggest star in the world. Just we all know, obviously, that the influence that Kanye had on Kim in terms of fashion and where he was in the music industry and where he was in the fashion world at the time really helped to elevate her. And Kim has spoken about that many times before. She does not deny that at all. And I just wonder if there's some sort of like sick, twisted thought process in Kanye's head where he's like, I wonder if I could just do this again. I wouldn't say no. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. Yeah, not not a possibility. Right. Yeah. Well, guys... I think that is all for this week. We will see you again later this week for either our Kardashian bonus show or midweek update, depending on what's going on in the news. And then Isabel and I will also see you later this week for Bravo. And we love you guys. Thank you for listening and letting us do this. Bye.
Let's talk about baby making for a second because it's really not as simple as it's made out to be, meaning there's just factually a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And kind of, you know, for many of us, we spend our lives trying to prevent unwanted pregnancy that when you do want to conceive, there's almost a lack of understanding and resources, which is why I want to introduce you to Frida Fertility. Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from egg and sperm health to ovulation tracking to conception aid. And basically what Frida is doing is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. And their products are innovative, easy to use, accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. They're kind of revolutionizing the conception aid game with the at-home insemination kit, which is almost, you can think of it as like a modern, effective solution to the turkey baster. This is baby making simplified. Find Frida Fertility on Amazon, Target, and select CVS near you.